If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Ruth, chapter 4. Um, I don't think Ash could have prayed a better prayer this morning. I don't know if any of you are like me, but some mornings you just wake up and you just need more prayer. Anybody been there before? All right. At least we got four honest people in the room. I appreciate you guys. If you're in Ruth chapter 4, what I want you to do is um, turn there, and I'll catch you up from week 1. If you say, oh my gosh, we're at the end of a book, I haven't been here in 3 weeks or whatever, or 2 weeks, I want to catch you up real quick. So week 1, we find out that um, Elimelech has taken his family, Naomi, Ruth, Orpah, uh, Mylon, and Kilion, and they have gone to uh, the land of the Moabites, it's where his sons took his daughters, their uh, wives, Orpah. And Ruth, and while they were there, Elimelech, Mylon, and Kilion passed away. All right, and so in, in chapter one, there is uh, bitter Naomi, broken Ruth, and Orpah going back home. Chapter two, they hear that there are good things happening at the, in the house of bread in Bethlehem, so they go back together to the house of bread, and immediately Ruth begins to serve her mother-in-law. Uh, she begins to go to the fields and to glean, and, and then Boaz, remember, he, he took notice of her. He saw her and said, oh my goodness, this girl is beautiful. She's a hard worker. Her integrity is incredible. Uh, I like her, right? That's what we said together. He was like, all right, girl. You know, I mean, it was kind of one of those moments for Ruth and Boaz. And then chapter 3, um, it would be fun just to skip it because it got kind of saucy, right? Like there was that weird thing at night where Ruth uncovered his feet and she laid down and Boaz wakes up, he's like, what's going on? And, and so she proposes marriage and at the end of chapter 3, we're left with this cliffhanger, right? The end of chapter 3, Boaz says, listen, I, I will redeem you. I would love for that to take place, but there's someone that's actually closer in the family line than me that could redeem you. So so let's, let's see if that works out. But if not, I will redeem you. So we're kind of left with this cliffhanger. And we find ourselves in Ruth chapter 4. I'm going to read you the first six verses, and then we're going to pray one more time together. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, this guy that Boaz was talking about in Ruth chapter 3, He came by, so Boaz said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took two ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. And if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no reason beside, no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And this is what the guy said, I will redeem it. Hold on a second. Can you imagine for a minute if you're Boaz in the story? Like, if you have spent this time watching Ruth work and you have committed to be her redeemer and you're just going to, like, get all the politics out of the way and let this other guy have a chance, but really you know you're going to redeem her, and all of a sudden you present this thing to friend over here and he says, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Can you imagine in that moment, in, like, if you're watching a Hallmark show, all right, 
that would be the moment where like two people are vibing right and sparks are flying and then like somebody walks in and is like, oh, by the way, hey, I'm still here. You know, it's that weird moment where everybody's like, what's going to happen? I love this. Then Boaz said, oh, by the way, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said this, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to jot this down. Boaz was intentional in his pursuit of Ruth. Boaz did it the right way. Boaz was intentional in his pursuit. And check this out. This is what I love. This is what's beautiful to me about this part of the story. Boaz was prepared to pay a price for her that others would not. He would take in Naomi, the upkeep of the land, Ruth, provide an heir to carry on Milan's name. He would then inherit everything. Do you see the cost that's about to be incurred here by Boaz? Like, Boaz is getting another mother-in-law, all right? Can we just start there? He's getting another mother-in-law. He's going to take Ruth into his home. Now he's going to be providing for two. And this is what's beautiful about this. He's going to provide for them. He's going to give Ruth an heir. He commits that to her. But then this heir, check this out, all the things that Boaz just bought back are then going to go back to Malon's son, what would be considered Ruth's son to carry on Malon's name. This is a huge price to pay. That's why friend number one, it's probably why the narrator here in Ruth, the writer of Ruth was like, I'm not even giving this dude a name. All right. We're just going to call him, hey, friend. The price was too great. He backed away. But Boaz did not care. He knew in his heart that the friend wasn't the redeemer that he was and Boaz would have his girl. We're going to get into this even more in just a second, but Boaz here in the text is just a shadow. Boaz isn't God. He's imperfect, obviously. He's a finite version of Jesus. And if you will this morning, he's this, this shadow that comes along and and points to someone that was willing to pay this incredible price to have you and I back. When you could have searched the whole galaxy to find one that could have paid the bride price to get you back into the kingdom and to get me back into the kingdom, there was no one that could pay that heavy, that high, that deep, that, that, that God, I don't even know how to phrase it this morning, that just that heaviness of that price. There was no one could pay it. Our sin was too great. The separation was too far. There was no one that could pay the price. And Jesus comes on the scene and pays the price. Instantly becoming your kinsman redeemer, the anchor of your soul. Christ Jesus does for you on the cross what no one else could. And Boaz is just a shadow of that. I love 7 through 10. Read this with me. I absolutely love this. Now, this was the custom in former times. 7 through 10 or 7 and 9 are a little different, a little weird. 
we're going to read it anyways. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming the exchange to confirm a transaction. That one would take off his sandal and give it to another, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. You didn't sign a note back then, you just kind of handed your flip-flop over. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal, and then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, now check this out. Church, this is for me the most exciting moment in the text. All right, because Boaz preaches the gospel. Boaz turns around, and, and, and by this time, obviously, he gathered 10 elders together. No-name friend over here is still hanging out with a, a sandal, extra sandal in his life, whatever. And all of a sudden, Boaz turns around and starts to address the people. And listen to what he says. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people gathered, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kylon and Mylon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow, of my, the widow of Milon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. He said, well, TJ, all he said is that he paid the bride price and he redeemed Ruth and now she was going to be his wife. No, 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 no. Let's back up together. Boaz preaches a gospel sermon, millennia's in the making. Listen, I want you to see this. The Moabite, the nobody, the discredited, the one with all the baggage and all the brokenness in an instant goes from being a Moabite with nothing to her name to being a bride with an inheritance. Listen, this morning, I hope that you can see in your own life that the day that you met Jesus Christ was the day that you went from a broken sinner, disconnected, undone, lost, without an inheritance, instantly becoming a son or daughter with an inheritance forevermore. I hope you can see that this morning. He paid a price. More than that, I love that he says a name that was dead can live again. What does he say? I brought her to be my wife. So that the name of the dead is an inheritance. The name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and the gates of his native place. So wait, Boaz turns around as the kinsman redeemer to Ruth and says, hey, by the way, things that were dead are going to be alive again. Why is that good news for us? Because Jesus, this morning is the only one that can take the dead parts of our hearts, the dead things in our lives, our spiritual depravity, and give it a name again. He can take our brokenness, our undoneness, our lostness. He can draw us back to himself, and he can make that which is dead alive. It might hit you different when you realize you're dead without Christ. Sure, we can live and we can do things and have relationships, careers, degrees, diplomas, all these things. But if we are without Christ, they're all dead. If we are without Christ, we're dead. 
Think of the things, and, and, and we're going to move on in just a second, but the things that Boaz preaches here in this text, I love. The Moabite will become the bride. The name of the dead will come back to life. Bitter Naomi will have a table to sit at. She'll no longer be bitter. She'll share in the joy of Boaz's home. And every, every aspect of their lives that the world would have looked in on and said, this is too far gone, this is undone, they're dead and gone. Their hope has been squashed. Their way back into the people of Israel, like there's this Moabite woman living with this bitter lady. Things are just not good. Everyone would have written them off in, in an instant. Moabite became the bride. The name was resurrected to life. Naomi has a table to sit at. Boaz was redeeming everything that everyone else said was dead. You hear me this morning. You may be contributing to the echo chamber in your own heart and in your own mind that says, you know what, my spiritual life is dead. My marriage is dead. My friendships are dead. Having joy again in my vocation is dead. My dreams and my pursuit of what I wanted to do for God, it, it's too far gone and it's just kind of dead. A lot of time we want to attribute those kind of wrestles and struggles to the enemy or other people, but oftentimes it's our voice in the echo chamber of our heart rattling around saying those things are dead, just give up. Boaz is this imperfect shadow of a Jesus that wants to take the dead things in your life and resurrect them in him. Primarily and namely your soul. Listen to Ephesians 2. I want you to hear it this way because this, this is so beautiful to me. You who were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. There's nobody in the room that's off the hook, right? In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Hear this, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us to lie alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Hear this again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. This is the gift of God. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, church. We are all dead apart from Jesus. But because of his great grace, his great mercy, his great power working through Christ, we can be resurrected and called sons and daughters. And that which was dead can live again. I want you to see something else in the text. I don't, I don't want us to miss this this morning. Some might argue and say, well, yeah, well, wasn't it Ruth's kindness towards Naomi that, that did it for her? Ruth was a pretty good person. Wasn't it Ruth that, that 
she did some good works, and, and so that's really what bought her freedom. You know, wasn't it, it was Ruth that kind of manufactured this moment, right? If you look at the text, what you see is a redeemer holding all the power, all the authority, all mercy and all grace, resting in Boaz's control. And he delivered it to Ruth. I want you to see this this morning. It's not your good works or your church attendance or your ability to perform well or to keep the Ten Commandments or to, to con- be a contributor to a faith family or the ties that you, you, you give. Let none of those things gain you acceptance into the kingdom of God. None of those things make you a son or daughter. Do you hear me this morning? It's only because the Redeemer called you by name. It's only because the Redeemer paid a price for you that no one else, even yourself, could have paid. It's only because the Redeemer, it's that but God moment. You were dead in your sins, unable to save yourself, but God who is rich in mercy, He's redeemed you. He's called you His own. That which was dead can live again. Let's go back to the text and go from 11 to 17 together. Then all the people who were at the gate of the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up, built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. Because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Check this. This is awesome. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord. Who, the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And if you're taking notes this morning, if you've got a pen in your hand, if you don't, snag your neighbors real quick and just circle this over and over and over. I want you to remember this. Take this on your car if you have to, on your steering wheel. Put it on your mirror in your bathroom. I want you to hear this phrase over and over. This day, the Lord has not left you without a Redeemer. Do you hear me? No matter what you've been through, no matter what you're walking through, no matter how difficult life has been, hear the words of Scripture jumping off the page. This day, the Lord has not left you without a Redeemer. Oh, He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women in the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. (laughs) The Moabite woman with nothing to offer becomes David's great-grandmother. David, the greatest king in all of the history of Israel. The lineage of Jesus came out of Ruth's broken pain. Do you see this? Something that beautiful, the redemption of mankind, came through the nobody Moabite woman that had been written off for dead. 
So don't come in here this morning saying God can't. Don't come in here this morning saying God won't. Don't do that. Not only are you wrong, it's unbiblical. Because God can and God will. My, my prayer for you, and this is just a little active participation. we got a little bit more to go, but I, I pray that you would, you would grab all those thoughts, especially those that you accuse yourself of, those, those God can't or God want or God does not want to kind of phrases and ideas in your heart and your mind when you look at your life. And I wish you would just go home this afternoon and write down on a piece of paper, yada, 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 God won't, yada, 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 God can't, and just erase it. Strike it out. Write it all out and then tear it up and just, just write yourself a little sticky note that said, God can and God will. <laughs> the Lord has not left you without a redeemer. Now, I said it earlier and we even dove into it a little early because it was just too good to stay away from. But as beautiful as this story is, this story, this beautiful hallmark story of of Ruth being redeemed and Boaz getting a wife and the dead being resurrected, his name anyways, being resurrected and honored, as beautiful as that is, it pales in comparison to the story that swims under the surface. As much as I would like to and all of us would love to applaud Boaz, we have to pause and remember this this morning. We, we love to grab characters and cling to them, but we have to pause and remember this this morning. Maybe say this phrase, let it rattle around in your heart. Jesus is a better Boaz. As cool as Boaz is in the story, as much of a redeemer as he is and shows himself to be, Jesus is the better Boaz. I wish you would, maybe in the next week or two, go back through the book of Ruth and see all the ways that Boaz pursued, protected, and provided for Ruth. And maybe over the next few weeks even pray and say, God, would you reveal in my own life those moments that Jesus has been my protector, my provider, the one that gave me that, that deep provision of spiritual sustenance, the one who pursued me when I wasn't even pursuing him. God, would you just reveal to me, reveal to me how Jesus is better than Boaz. And promise, I promise you, I promise you this, he will. So let me say it like this, and this is how we're going to wrap up together this morning. To close all of this together, we have to ultimately ask the question, if that's true, TJ, if Jesus is a better Boaz, what makes him better? Some people would say, well, it's, it's because he, he lived a sinless life, right? Or maybe because he died without sin, but in the sinner's place. Today, I would argue, I would say the thing that makes Jesus the better Boaz, the, main, the thing that makes Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, the thing that makes Jesus the pursuit of our heart, the thing that makes him the better Boaz is the life that he lived, the death that he died, and the resurrection that he put on display for the world to see. This morning, that's what makes him the better Boaz. That's what makes him worthy of our worship. It's not just because he blesses us with good things. It's because through the resurrection, he validated himself as the better Boaz. As the greatest redeemer of all time. I want you to jot this down real, really quick. Jesus make, what, what makes Jesus the redeemer of all redeemers is the life that he lived 
because it was completely sinless. See, it wasn't enough for Jesus to just come and die on a cross. He lived in our place, genuinely. Scripture says in another place that he's the propitiation of our sin. It could have said that he was the expiation of our sin, and that means taking, just taking the sin away from us, but that's not what he did. He's the propitiation of our sin for our sin. Why this morning? Because not only did he expiate, not only did he remove from us our sin, but all of the righteousness that Jesus walked in and lived in, he gave it to us. He's the greatest redeemer of all time this morning because he lived in your place. We say it all the time that he died on the cross in our place. Listen, hear me, church. He's the greatest redeemer of all time because he lived in your place. Because he knew that we would be wretched, jacked up people in need of a Savior. So he came and lived a sinless life. The Bible says he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you and I this morning, if you are in Christ, you stand worthy, accepted, loved, redeemed because Christ has given you his life. Oh, he's given you his life. But what makes Jesus the greatest redeemer of all time is not just the life that he lived, but it is the death that he died as well. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Why? Because the death was substitutionary. As much as his life was. He lived a sinless life in our place, and then he died a sinner's death in our place, having never sinned. You say, TJ, what? Maybe you're like I've been so many times in my life, and you kind of grapple with skepticism. You say, well, TJ, a lot of people died on the cross, right? I mean, Jesus was crucified between two common thieves, criminals. So isn't crucifixion like, like during that time, it was like going out to brunch. It happened every day, all the time, as political statements. It happened all the time as, as, as statements of war, right, suppression of religion. Like, it happened all the time. Just go read a little bit about Nero, and you'll find all about crucifixion. So it has to be something this morning more, more than Jesus just living in our place and dying on the cross. There ha- like, what makes that so special? Check this out. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people have died on crosses. We can't escape that fact. But only one man embraced the full wrath of God on the cross for your soul. Only one person had lived so sinless that they could consume and and be consumed by the wrath of God on Calvary's hill. Yeah, thousands of men died by way of crucifixion, but only one man came face to face with the wrath of God that was poured out for your sin and for my sin. And that makes Jesus the greatest redeemer of all time. That he lived a life that we could never live. He died a substitutionary death in our place and atoned for our sin. And the last thing, he rose from the dead to validate all of those claims. <laughs> Listen, if, if Jesus had not raised from the dead, I would not have been preaching the last 35 minutes to you. Because everything would have just been hearsay and speculation. Jesus rose from the grave. John eleven twenty five through 26. He even said it this way. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he will live again. Anyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's not me asking. Those are the words of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. So Jesus' words. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This morning, as we have a time of response together, I want you to grapple with this reality that there is a great redeemer. The greatest of all time, matter of fact. Who paid the price to get you back. Who paid the price to cover all of your debts. Who paid the price so that you could be loved and wanted and restored and redeemed. And listen, he lived a life for you as your redeemer that you could never live. He died a substitutionary death in your place that you could never die. Mm. He rose from the grave to validate all of those claims. And he asked you this morning, not me, he asked you, do you believe this? Do you believe that you're loved? Do you, do you believe the price was paid? Do you believe this? This morning we're going to take a time of response. And I, I said it earlier, but I pray that you would just kind of draw a circle around yourself and just spend a few minutes talking with God, responding to the things that you've heard in Scripture. Father, we love you this morning. We believe that you are good and you are faithful and you are the greatest of all time. So God, as we this morning, just for a few minutes, take time to, to worship you in response to what we've heard and what we believe, that you're the greatest redeemer of all time. Lord, I pray that you stir our affections for you. I pray you silence the enemy and God, Lord, even silence our own words that rattle around the, in the echo chamber of our heart that says you can't or you won't. God, we believe you can and you will. In Jesus' name.